Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Peace for Kids Rock Move Podcast. I'm Noah. And I'm Miriam. And we're excited to have you back. January is considered National Mentorship Month, and while we're covering this topic in January, it doesn't mean that we should not have these conversations year-round. So throughout the months, we're going to discuss certain themes that are celebrated in this country, uh, and this month just happens to be National Mentorship Month. So let's look into that. What is a mentor? Mentors are trusted individuals who can provide guidance, feedback, constructive criticism, influence, and support to another person. They're mentee. So let's say you're interested in a particular subject. A mentor would be someone who has a certain level of of expertise in that subject. They can be a counselor, a sponsor, a teacher, an ally, etc. I suppose you all know how to use one of these things, but in case you don't... And by a certain level of expertise, usually a mentor is at least one, ideally two steps ahead of you. I think something really important about a mentor is that there's someone who wants to spend time with you. Yeah. This is awkward, but (laughs) I've asked someone to be a mentor before and like I just, I didn't do my vetting right. And they were just like, politely no. That's cool. That's fair. Cause it's like, I'd rather you say no. And then, you know, versus saying yes. And then me being like, yeah, I got a mentor. And then they're just like, I don't want to deal with you. It's just constant disappointment. (laughs) Exactly. A mentorship above all is a relationship. And it has different contexts and it's going to ebb and flow, but it's got to be a two-way street. So, Noah, can you provide some examples? Do you have a mentor in your life or have you been a mentor to someone? That's a good question. Yes to both. I do have mentors. I have had mentors. And I do some mentoring. It's all kind of fluid. I think one of my earliest mentors was actually a teacher that I had in ninth grade who was a volunteer with Peace for Kids. And it was kind of like the bridge that brought me to Peace for Kids. Mm. And we're still cool today. And that's kind of wild because that's a long time, like from ninth grade through high school, through college, like, and then I kind of moved away and we kind of lost touch for a little bit, but we're still cool. Um, And that's kind of the beauty of mentorship as well is like it can kind of change and ebb and flow, but as long as it's on the up and up, then it's all good. That's awesome. And you've been a mentor to someone? Yeah, I guess you could say that. I kind of, in my head, kind of frame it as like just being a a big brother or just being someone who's like there and less kind of like a hierarchy of a mentor. But yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that because there's certain like headaches that I've had or like challenges that I've come up against or doors that I've tried that were locked. And now it's like I'm able to tell a young person like, yo, that you actually don't want to do that door. Like there's a shortcut over here. Right. So it's like a little bit of that is like kind of like the mentoring that I do. I'm grappling with it in my head because I don't really, I haven't really thought of myself as a mentor. You know what I mean? Hmm. I just try to like be there and just be a resource to people. And and again, it has to be like a two-way thing. So I'm not like forcing myself on people like, hey, I know things, like ask me things. But it's just like if we're cool and we have a relationship and I like kind of know a little bit about where you're from or like. If it's a young person from Peace for Kids and we're just like have a rapport like that, then like, yeah, I'm a resource. And I'll let it be known like, hey, if you have an issue with this, then like call me, text me, email me. Or like if you try this and it doesn't work, then like let's brainstorm, let's talk it out. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's something that I also appreciate about Peace for Kids. It's 
is that it's a space where uh, you have visibility and there are people with lived experiences who can provide that kind of support or feedback based on things that they know from personally living through something. And it doesn't always have to be just foster care is the other thing. Absolutely. Like when we started this, um, when we were researching for this episode, we came across a paper uh, that talked about self-reliance and survival of self-reliance. And one of the big findings in that paper was that if you want to help young people in foster care, then you've got to just understand that foster care is one context of many. And I think that's one of the most valuable bits of being a mentor in this context is like, yes, you can help people navigate the rough terrain of foster care, but it really is about setting folks up to be successful beyond uh, the immediate context. And that's like any mentorship context. It's like you're trying to help people set them up to be successful, like more successful than they already are. Um, But in foster care, it's just like extra special because we have to have that other foot like outside of the system because you're not going to be in the system your whole life. Right. So we get it. Mentors can be supportive, trusted individuals. Sometimes they can be referred to as big brothers or just a resource in a community that you can call, reach out to, like Noah just described. Uh, They can hold us accountable to our opportunities and inspire us through their lived experience, which I find amazing. What does it mean to have a mentor when you're in foster care? Noah, you just alluded to that. So let's dive into that. Why don't you take us on a tour through the house and let's see what happens. Well, let's look into something called the foster match process. Essentially what it is, Uh, Youth are categorized and identified by a system called Foster Match Process, which links youth enrollment data from schools to data from the California Department of Social Services. So that's how they're able to determine when a child is in foster care. They sync both of those uh, datas. And it's interesting because in this, uh, while, while looking into the Foster Match and like researching it, the California Department of Education refers to children in foster care as at risk. That is their verbiage from their website, and we can link that as well. You'll find our sources in our notes. Uh, and I found that really interesting that in information that is provided to the public from a reliable resource, children in foster care are being labeled as at risk. I think we know the rest of the story. What does it mean to be at risk? Sounds like a some loaded language. Yeah, what's all that about? What is the context here? Because there's not much provided other than they are labeled as at risk. So... It's kind of a catch-all. Yeah! Well, thankfully we did our research and we looked into it. In unpacking the term at risk, the etymology comes from a French word risque, meaning to be in peril. Uh, synonymous words to risque are danger, threat, trouble. <laughs> wow, right that's perfect. T- we yes, um, we're currently recording from the Peace for Kids location in Watts, so live you'll hear from recess. live from recess. You'll hear some screams. So vulnerable, hazard, distress, etc., etc. We're starting to see a theme here. These are all really positive words. <laughs> Positively frightening. Something interesting that came up with another idea called survivalist self-reliance. 
Ooh, what a fancy term. Noah, can you elaborate? Well, it's really two things. It's like the survival concept plus self-reliance. And the idea was raised in a research paper by a researcher who interviewed 44 young people in the Midwest who were aging out of foster care. The paper highlights the degree to which participants in the study endorsed self-reliance as they reflected on their past experience and as they offered advice to other people in foster care and as they identified barriers to achieving their own goals. And while it was a very academic paper, there was some really raw and, and personal ideas and things that I've experienced, I don't know about you, Miriam, if you ever felt that, Mm -hmm. where you couldn't ask for help because it kind of went against what we're conditioned to believe or see ourselves as when you're in foster care. Right. And just how challenging it is to even ask for help, let alone accept it. Survivalist self-reliance stems from a broader idea and national concept and cultural concept of rugged individualism. You do it yourself. If you can't do it yourself, then there's something wrong with you. Right. And that makes it really hard to to try to parse out how to be independent versus interdependent, because that's a fairly recent concept in the field of child welfare and spe- specifically gearing people up to age out into exodus system is like, how do you set them up to not just be able to stand on their own, but like to be able to ask for help and know that not only is it okay to ask for help, it's just a necessary part of growing up and becoming independent is being able to be interdependent it's like dependent interdependent and then independent right. it's not just dependent independent like that's a harsh uh transition that like no one can really navigate right unless you've had interdependency at some point and that's like the trick that they don't tell you it's like no one goes from being dependent to independent without any issues right it's puzzling i don't think i've ever seen anything quite like this before and it's interesting uh to think about this in the context of foster care Let's say you are in a placement with someone that you don't really know too well. Sometimes, and something that we found in this article, in this research, is that some of the participants were describing situations in which they didn't ask for help because they felt like no one owed them anything. And so you think about this in the context of like transactional help. If you're going to a trusted individual, like someone like a biological parent, for example, it's not like... I wouldn't anticipate in a situation where there's trust and guidance and support, unconditional support and love from a caretaker, that they would support you with something and then ask for something in return. Whereas if you're in a situation like foster care, you don't have that, you don't always have that kind of support, that kind of unconditional love. And There's also a lot of transiency in foster care. So you're moving from placement to placement. You don't always know who your caregivers are. You don't have a history necessarily built up with them. They haven't known you or like you guys don't really know each other. You're essentially living in a stranger's home. I know that this isn't the case for every foster care situation, of course. But in circumstances like this, who do you go to for support? How do you understand asking for help if you have lived in placements like this your whole life if every time you've asked for help you've gotten in trouble if you've had to become a parentified child and figure it out on your own let's say um i'm the oldest sibling in my household if i didn't have the answer even though i myself was a child that means that meant that we were all in trouble and that was a very scary circumstance to be in 
if I could not figure it out, then we were not figuring it out. So even if I didn't have the answers, I would come up with something. And I had so much trouble asking for help because asking for help put me in such a vulnerable situation where I would likely get hurt or abused or chastised for a very basic human need. The adults in my life did not have the emotional capacity to hold space for me as a child with questions and concerns and problems. Instead, I was berated for it. I was punished for my questions. I was punished for not getting things right. And so that developed conditioning inside of me where I began to believe that help was associated with, asking for help was associated with punishment and abuse. So I, to this day, struggle to ask for help. And I'm learning every day. It's it's building new experiences. It's asking who I consider to be mentors to me today. And it's also having honest conversations with them when they're working with me and letting them know, hey, this is new for me. I'm working through this. Can you help me? Can you help me ask you for help? This is a big thing for me. And these were a lot of common themes found in this paper where uh, people would offer advice to others, like use your resources and ask for help yourself, but they themselves would not benefit from these resources. They wouldn't ask for help, but they knew that that was what was necessary in order to uh, make it to the state of independence that Noah is talking about. So we found that similarity and in, again, exploring what it means to be in foster care, what it means to not have much stability, to not know if you're going to live in a different home tomorrow, if you're going go to go to a different school. Like, how do you develop this network of people? Like, if you're moving from school to school, how do you know who to go to? And if it's embarrassing and if it's, you know, you don't want to talk about your circumstances or why you're new in the middle of the school year, chances are you're probably going to keep this to yourself and keep telling yourself that you're going to figure it out anyway, because that's how it's always been, instead of evaluating, well, why aren't people helping me? And that gets into deeper things. That's more like systemic issues. Why are children being placed in so many different homes? Why are they moving from school to school? Why can't we provide the proper resources for caregivers to offer these basic human interactions of support and help and safety, etc.? What's going on there? And so how can we hold people accountable to things that they don't necessarily understand and then tell them you have to be independent, you have to keep figuring it out when you're living from a experiencing life from a parentified mindset? Like the reality is, you know, you, you don't know how to navigate the world yet and you can't do it alone. It's so complex out there. Every day is its own new challenge and things are constantly changing. How are you going to figure this all out on your own? And if you can, like, yes, it's great. Something that Noah and I talked about uh, that was really poignant in this paper is that people tend to prioritize foster care as that major feat. Like, that is like the thing that you survived. And that is the major like survival um, story that you have in your life. But there's so much more to a human being than surviving foster care. Like there's all our basic life experiences and our individual, I don't know, our individual stories to tell. Our life should not just be framed around what we experienced or survived in foster care. And that's a huge, huge issue.
Exactly. It becomes like the the flat single story. Right. And we always joke about how when we meet new people as adults and maybe they learn that or we share that we were in foster care at some point and then like their eyes are kind of like they're taking in all the information <laughs> yeah. and then as soon as you say, oh yeah, and then I, you know, I was in foster care, then it's like, oh it's like for them a light bulb goes off yeah. and it's like all of a sudden like everything else doesn't matter it's like that's the detail that defines you and that becomes who right. you are to them even though like you may be the first person from Australia that they've ever met right but they have like such an idea about what it means that like everything else just becomes like secondary or even tertiary beyond that right and it just becomes like oh okay Right. And whatever their preconceived notions are about what it means to be in foster care is like that suddenly becomes who you are. And this links back to an idea that you brought up or that you found in like doing the work for this episode. And that's the idea of stereotype threat and the kind of psychological conditioning that goes on when people have such big pictures painted up in their mind about a person and really what they're capable of. And that factors into the conversation around mentoring and foster care, uh, just because mentoring is such a basic, normal thing, you know, in like culture and society of just like you have people that are a little bit further ahead of you that help you get to where you want to be, whether it's in the context of like a professional apprenticeship or just like a, a big brother or like just, you know, an adult that like cares and gives you a little bit of extra attention towards your goals. Um, but it just becomes so <laughs> complicated and kind of politicized in the foster care context. But the hope with this conversation is that we can kind of talk through the thorny bits and then just really raise up the issue in a way that people realize how much uh, opportunity there is to make an impact by simply not just being a mentor, but being a good mentor to a young right. person in foster care. Cause that's the other thing too, is like, uh, everything is not black and white um and it is a relationship and relationships need tending to right and so the hope with this conversation is that we can kind of talk through the the tricky stuff but ultimately leave you with the feeling that uh and this is if you want to be a mentor leave you with the feeling that you can do it and do it in a way that's like really formative and positive and and just healthy exactly thank you for for bringing that up and you know the important thing about all of this is that the ways in which we engage with others has real life effects on them. So specifically, if we're stepping into a space of mentorship, what we tell children that we believe about them, they will start to experience, even in the stereotype threat uh, study that you were just discussing, even if people didn't believe the stereotypes that were being told about them, they, it started becoming their reality because it started psychologically influencing these people. And we have to be super mindful about how we step into spaces, uh, specifically uh, demographics of people that have been historically underserved or historically um, targeted, historically uh, mistreated. Why are we stepping into these spaces? What is the intent? Is the intent to express some sort of saviorship complex really think about that are we going into the hood are we going into this dangerous place because we want to feel like better people for ourselves or is it because we want to have a better understanding of what is actually going on and step into these spaces and work with people from the perspective of i will not 
project all of my preconceived notions and everything that the world has taught me about you onto you because I have just met you. I have no idea who you are and I'm so excited to meet you and get to know who you are. And um, so we're, we're going we're gonna to go into that now and explore how we can really look at ourselves as mentors, how we can be mentored ourselves. And we're going to provide some tips and if you would like to become a mentor, um, some resources for you as well. And also some things that might be helpful for you. If you yourself have a mentor and maybe there's been a moment where you've felt uncomfortable or you felt like hmm, maybe that wasn't the best interaction or actually I think my connection to this person can become stronger. You might want to listen to what we have to share. And if mentorship sounds like it's too much, <laughs> it's always okay to give a donation. Absolutely. Maybe you're not quite ready to have like a relationship with someone, uh, then that doesn't mean that you can't get involved. Right. And that's just something to just keep in mind too. Like we're not, no one should feel pressured in a mentoring situation. Absolutely. Help us help others. So many ways <laughs> to have an impact. Yeah. And even if it's just for the sake of learning, <laughs> this is great content, I believe. No, it is, it is great content. <laughs> is this great content? I Let don't know. know. What do you guys have to say? <laughs> I'm, I think it's great content, but you can all share as well. So we'd love your feedback. What makes a good mentor? In this next segment, we're going to hear from people in our Peace for Kids community about mentoring and what a good mentor does. What is a mentor? I don't know what that is. Like somebody that you look up to. You. Or him. Or her. Or Jacob. Or Nick. Or Grace. Yeah. I would love to say mentorship is important. Obviously it's the guy people that, that need help. Um, with No matter what field you're in, everybody a mentor can be anybody in any field um, and they can help you get where you need to uh, get to they can help guide you um, help you create connections and probably get you like a job you wanted or a house you wanted or get you into a place that you ever wanted to go so it, it is mentoring is, is just more than just helping people it's obviously making a connection with the person that you're mentoring how can the adults in your life be better mentors by supporting me through my goals, being there for me when I'm down, lifting me up, and if I be playing in sports, coming to my games, supporting me, giving me talks, yeah. Maybe show more effort in things of communication, like communicate more, like hear people's side of stories and not just go with the one they heard. Um, probably, um, watch how the kid is behaving like because one day they might be doing something that they like and the next day they might not be doing it and might be wondering why don't just go up there and ask them pay attention to them and then pay attention to their feelings and don't say something that would make them feel bad about themselves How can people who are interested in being a mentor get involved? You know, 
Though Peace for Kids is not, it's a common misconception, Peace for Kids is not a program for mentorship. Just need to clarify that. If a child chooses to engage with an adult within the community or someone uh, that they have really connected to, they can identify that relationship for themselves. They, They can identify that relationship for themselves. However, this is not a mentorship program. It can happen, but that's not what we do here, solely what we do. You can get involved with Peace for Kids, though. And I, for example, had a really sweet moment, had a really sweet moment the other week with one of the children we work with. I was asking them if they knew what a mentor was, and she asked if I could explain it to her, so I did. And she stopped for a moment. And she pointed at me and she's like, you, you're my mentor. And I thought that was a really sweet thing because it obviously was unexpected, but it is a child that I have worked to develop a relationship with and have spent some time with. And it's kind of how it happens naturally. It's not like I labeled myself that or I was expecting that response. That's for them to determine. And um, if you are going to step into these spaces, like Noah said, I cannot emphasize enough. It's about consistency and persistence. You don't just step into someone's life and say, I am here to change your life and give you perspective and insight and influence and then just leave. Could trigger like a lot of things for someone. So be mindful about that. And if Peace for Kids is not the place that you would like to maybe participate in, there are so many organizations that exist throughout Los Angeles and this country Uh, that you can look into really anywhere. You just kind of plug it in online. And if it's something that you're really feeling called to, it might, you know, be in your interest to explore it. It could be a really, really amazing opportunity. And likewise, if you're someone in the system or a young person in foster care or who's gotten out of foster care, get on offense. Find a mentor if you want a mentor. And even if you don't think you need a mentor, trick question. Everybody needs a little bit of help. (laughs) So, like, it's in your own best interest to uh, seek out that help and proactively communicate, especially if you already have people in your corner working for you. Like, if you have a social worker or a caseworker, an attorney, even if you have a counselor or a therapist, like, talk to them. Said is, like, look around at the places where you already are and see if there's someone there that you kind of gravitate to or see if there's someone there that, like, kind of lives a life that it seems like you may want to live whether it's like what they do for work or their lifestyle then Mm. it's like that that's that's mentor material for you my first mentor that I got um, in ninth grade was just like I was very much a busybody in school and just very active this particular teacher was our our digital arts teacher and yo where are the computers where are the things where's the server room gradually I kept getting more and more responsibilities and then that turned into a mentor. Like I looked back and it was like, oh, that's my mentor. And then what was wild, Miriam talked about the hypermodality of being in foster care and how you can literally wake up in a new place the next day and like all your relationships are shuffled or brand new. And this particular um, teacher, this is how I knew he was a mentor was when I didn't show up for school because I'd gotten moved over winter break and no one knew where I was. This was like before social media. And this teacher got on the phone like old school and was just calling around like trying to figure Mm. out where I was literally because I disappeared and it was like over break and stuff and he knew that there was a program that was coming to um, the boys and girls club at the time 
that I should be involved with because it was just right up my alley as far as like what he was mentoring me with. You know what I mean? So it's just like this program is here that we're helping create and this kid here that is like one of our ideal members of this program is just MIA. And then that's when the kind of pieces fell into place. Like, oh, this person's in foster care. And that's how I got connected um, with Peace for Kids and kind of met Zaid around that same time. Because, like, no one really knew I was in foster care. I was just, like, a kid, like another kid. And then it was like, oh, we found out because you, like, disappeared. And then this teacher put in the legwork to get you back connected to the community. And, like, even to the degree of, like, giving me rides to and from, like, the Boys and Girls Club and stuff. Because the homes that I was in, the foster parents just, like did not want to be involved like they were not going to stop their regularly scheduled program because i had things in place something else to kind of keep in your back pocket is a mentor and mentoring isn't like a capital m formal exercise sometimes it's just a natural thing that unfolds like wherever you are um and it suits the moments a mentoring relationship should not be a fight oh god that's all i need you can't see it but i'm i have the most like (laughs) emotional sappy look on my face right now listening to Noah talk about this mentor <laughs> what a really sweet story Noah um, actually reminds me of um, my first mentor as well who was my therapist when I was little uh, he met me and my family when we had our first incident of child abuse in the family and I was about five years old and he recognized that I really loved to make art. So he always brought art activities for me to work on and we eventually stopped seeing him. We eventually stopped seeing him. And when I entered the foster care system when I was nine years old, he advocated to become my therapist again. And he remembered my passion and love for art. So every time he would come see me, he practiced art therapy with me. And it became for me the way that I started storytelling through my paintings and drawings. And he stayed in my life. I mean, he still calls me every year for my birthday. And when I had my first art show a few years ago, he came and he brought pieces that I made when I was little. And he told me that he had kept every single art piece that I made since I was five years old. Because he just believed in me. And I feel like really emotional saying that now because, you know... I feel like he really, really saw me. And when I was growing up, I struggled to feel like people could see me, like actually see me. I put on such a facade, like, I'm okay, everything's all right, I don't need help. But he really stepped up and he's like, I see you. And even though you don't want to admit this to me, we're going to work through this. We're going to find different ways to help channel your creativity and your pain. And I think about that often and my love for art and storytelling and how that stemmed from such a young age because someone believed in me. Someone saw that and worked with me on it and worked through it and built on my strength. And it's it's powerful. It's really, really powerful. Life changing, game changing. Yeah. What can people who want to be better mentors do to improve? I had a variety of mentors throughout my life, and some of them really had some opportunities. It does not mean I'm not grateful for the work they put in, for the time they invested in me, for the trust they had in me. It's just as an adult now and as someone who works with kids and someone who's actively trying to become a better version of myself so then I can be uh, better for the people that I work with. 
I've learned some things along the way, some things that I wish my mentors could have known when I was growing up or some things I wish I had the strength to share and communicate when I was younger and more vulnerable. Uh, So here's some things that could potentially support you if you are currently a mentor or trying to become one or just trying to improve your relationship with your own mentor. At Peace for Kids, we have this acronym called the HAVES. Uh, It stands for Hear, Acknowledge, Validate, Shift. And one of the major first steps in the HAVES it's, it's basically a tool that we use to engage with other people, children, adults alike, our own selves. And one of the first major things that we have to do when engaging in the haves is to check ourselves. Check your own biases, check your preconceived notions. Are you actually needed in this situation or are you stepping in because you feel like you need to step in? So that's a great thing to remember and practice if you are trying to engage with someone as a mentor. Is this something that the person can discover on their own? Is it something they really, really need need you for? Or is it something that they can, you know, figure out um, and have you there for guidance and support when asked for? Are Are you just doing the most right now? Or are you letting someone make their own discoveries is essentially what I'm trying to say. Also, are you yourself in a regulated space to answer these questions? Is something about this experiencing experience triggering you? Are you having a really bad day? Are you um, in a state to be of support to someone else? If you're not, that's okay. That is completely fine. We don't want our own dysregulation to become someone else's. So if we are in a state of agitation or impatience, and then we start projecting that onto someone that we're supposed to be a trusted person to and um, a support system to, that could be very discouraging and potentially traumatizing. So we have to be sure to check our own selves. We will not always have all the answers. That is completely fine. And we won't always be our best selves. We won't always get it right. And that's okay. And we can acknowledge that. We don't have to get it right all the time. And if we don't, We can let our mentees or the people that we're working with know that. Hey, I didn't do that as well as I could have. You know, I see that now. Can we work through this again? Or can we try that again? Or I see your potential, I see this now. I see it differently. Or if your mentee provides perspective or feedback for you, how do you accept that and take it in without becoming defensive about it and instead using it as an opportunity to learn And also encourage your mentee to do that from now on as well. That is a great thing you did. Thank you so much. You helped me become a better mentor to you when you give me constructive feedback as well. We want to be in the space of doing that. Exactly. It's a relationship. Treat it like any other one. Water it. The next point that we have to help people be better mentors is practice patience, practice persistence, and consistency. Consistency, consistency, consistency. (laughs) When you're dealing with people who've had uh, an experience in foster care, whether it's a week away from family or 17 years away from family, it's going to take time for someone to trust and open up to a mentor. Positive change is not going to happen overnight. Um, If it does, wow, that's weird. But over time, you can definitely support someone in achieving their milestone goals. 
Yes. And remember to encourage, support, and learn about your mentee through their strengths and interests. So like I described with my art therapist, he recognized I had an interest in strength in art. So he constantly brought me art supplies and worked with me on those strengths. We can't discourage people for not being so good at things that they're not so good at. For example, I just learned that I'm not good at plugging in a microphone or figuring out the chords. Is it something that I have an interest in? Not really. Is it something that I have to spend a lot of time working on? Not really. Noah, on the other hand, is really good at that, so I'm going to praise him and support him. He is good. He's shaking his head, but he's really good at it. He's much better than I am, so I'm just going to praise him every time he gets it right because I can't do it. Providing positive feedback and support uh, can help someone develop and maintain a sense of self-worth and pride in their interests and talents. The last tip that we came up with to make you just a killer mentor <laughs> is to get a mentor yourself. Really, um, when you have a mentor, you improve your ability to connect with others. And it also creates more connections for your mentee to have connections. Like if they're seeing you constantly keep growing and challenging yourself, then that's a, a perfect example. And like what better thing to teach your mentee is to always be learning, always be growing. Right. And there's always somebody to learn from and communicate. If you're ever in doubt, communicate. Yes. Also, don't say something about your mentee that you wouldn't say in front of them. Straight up. Just be very mindful of your language. If you don't feel comfortable saying it in front of them, is it something you should be saying? Lead by example. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much to the people who participated, those who helped with the episode, and the community who makes it possible. We also want to give a shout out so all the academics out there who are doing research that centers the experiences of people in foster care, because we're few and far between. And it's been really cool to dig through my own archives of this research and pull out the ideas that are still, that still have yet to be unearthed. So to all the budding researchers out there, the people that are in the field, just shout out to y'all for doing this work. If Maybe you were thinking about becoming a mentor and this episode just so happened to land in your periphery. Take it as a sign. Go out and explore. Go look up some organizations online and don't be discouraged. And if you are still discouraged, don't be discouraged to maybe make a donation to a nonprofit that, or an organization, a fellowship that probably piques your interest. There are so many ways to support and be of support. There's always something to do. Absolutely. See you next time. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, then please consider subscribing. We love it if you reached out and told us what foster care topics you would like us to explore. You can also join us as a guest if you have a story that's important to share feel free to message us on instagram at peace for kids or at rock move and while you're there hit that follow button to stay up to date on all the things happening in our community see you next time